0: Let us let us pray together as we get into God's Word. Father, once again, um, you are worthy of all of our worship and our praise, all honor and glory. Um, just leading up to this time of getting into your Word and this particular subject today. Thank you so much, God, for giving us life, and in Christ, giving us that most priceless and precious gift of eternal life in Him. So I pray, Lord, that our time in your word is encouraging, edifying, and causes us to give that much more praise and glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin our Sanctity of Life sermon today, it might be good, might be helpful to make sure we have an understanding of what that word means, sanctity. And I've kind of asked around uh, here and there uh, during this past week to our folks, and let me give you the Cambridge Dictionary definition, okay? It's the quality of being very important and deserving respect. It's the condition of being holy or deserving of great respect. And that's what the word sanctity means. Uh, Elsewhere, it says ultimate importance and inviolability ultimate importance and inviolability so if you want to think of a synonym for the word sanctity you might think of sacredness or holiness or value and not just value but special value so the sanctity of the home or the sanctity of marriage or the sanctity of life and these would be all good and correct uses of the term As we've marked out this January Sunday as Sanctity of Life Sunday, it's understood that we more specifically mean sanctity of human life. Although all life is important and valuable, there's something about human life that is particularly important and valuable. That concept, that truth, is being lost On our culture today and it has been for some time it's reflected in the violence that we see in movies where it's nothing to see literally dozens of people being gunned down or killed in some gruesome way in the name of entertainment it's reflected in countless computer games video games that depict this really brutal and sadistic behavior which are readily available to youngsters. It's reflected in the countless real-life video clips showing people, many of them elderly, many of them women, for no reason being violently assaulted on the street in broad daylight, just being attacked and pummeled. And maybe the worst part of it is watching the onlookers just looking without doing anything. And it's reflected in the, on average, over one million abortions that have occurred each year in the United States alone since Roe v. Wade in 1973, a little to no regard for human life. Well, our sermon title today is The High Value That God Places on Human Life, and If you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 9, that's where we're going to spend our time today. Genesis chapter 9. And here we see that God instructs and imparts to Noah about how sacred, how valuable, how inviolable human life is from his perspective. And if God so values human life, if he considers it to be so precious... Then so should they, and so should we today. I want to submit to you three principles from this text, which teaches us to value human life as God does. Three principles which teach us to value human life as God does. And let me read Genesis 9 verses 1 through 7 and if you are able to stand I'll ask you to stand as we honor God's word together Genesis 9 verses 1 through 7 is our text today and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth the fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Please be seated. The first principle we're getting from verses one and seven, the beginning and the end of this passage that we're in today, is that God ordained the propagation of human life. God ordained the propagation of human life, and we all remember Genesis 1:28. Probably even as I read those first uh, that first verse, there our minds went there. God gave the same instruction to Adam and Eve as the very first human beings. It says there in verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Noah and sons are given this same mandate. It's God's command and blessing to them. That's the nuance. It's almost like a, a blessing in the form of a command. May you be fruitful and multiply. Even after the flood in which God destroyed everyone except for Noah and his family, God ordained that human life be propagated. So that's kind of a $4 word, $5 word. Propagate. Okay? To cause to continue or increase. Okay? To cause to continue or increase or to extend. God wanted Noah and his family to propagate the human race, okay, to breed, to reproduce, to procreate. And Noah might have had a question about that, right? After all, God just wiped out everyone but him and his family. Like, should Shem and Ham and Japheth be careful and limit how many children they have? If that was on Noah's mind, certainly it was answered clearly and Emphatically, no. God gives both a blessing and command for them to populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. And maybe as part of the principle, we want to add this little phrase. Uh, he ordained that the human race be propagated for His purposes, for God's purposes. Part of the creation mandate for humans to subdue and steward. The earth, right, the plants, the animals, the land, the seas, which God created. This is to use and bring it under control, to have dominion over it, um, and use all of it as God ordained. And why is that? Why? Okay, well, it's so that creation would reflect God's glory and goodness. We as human beings are His image bearers, and we are to image forth what God is like. And we're to produce... All that would reflect who he is. As such, we are to do and carry this out responsibly, productively, not in a reckless or wasteful or abusive manner. We are to steward God's creation. So how is this stewardship, this subduing of God's green earth to be done? Well, it's, it's... to be done through godly families who worship the creator and not the creation. It's done for his purposes through godly families who worship him. People and families who know God, as Dave read from Psalm 127 and prayed over that, uh, people who fear God, who worship God, God ordains that human life be propagated so that his purposes to glorify himself would be promoted. The whole earth and everything in it belongs to him. And it's all supposed to display His glory. That was the plan. And by the way, in the new heavens and new earth, that's exactly what's going to happen forever and ever and ever. Right? We're going to spend an eternity knowing and loving and serving and worshiping and working and stewarding and enjoying the new heavens and new earth. And it will be in such an unstained and unvarnished knowledge and love for God The triune God will be unending newness, never boring, and his glory will be on display forever. There's not going to be a need of, of any lamp or even the sun itself for light because the Lord God will illumine everything. Revelation 22, verse 5. At that future time, all things will redound to the glory of God. But back to our current reality right now. God's purposes of glorifying Himself, again, happens in the context of godly families. Where children are loved, they come to know God, believe in Christ, and are brought up in His ways. That's the ideal scenario. And maybe even the general understanding from Scripture as they talk about children being a blessing from the Lord and families growing up in the fear of the Lord. We as Christians are called to be and to raise up responsible stewards and caretakers of the earth, intending to serve and glorify the Lord. Children are truly a blessing and gift from God. Again, Psalm 127. Children, babies who are born and not yet born, all human life is precious to God. So I want us to consider a few things uh, implication-wise here. Okay? Uh, the first thing is this. You might have a question. So are children of unbelievers also a gift of the Lord? Hey, how about our unbelieving children a gift of the Lord? Hey, the answer to both is yes. All caps. Yes. Because they, of course, are all made in the image of God, in His likeness, and ultimately they are created by God Himself. So even if they grow up in unbelieving families, not purposefully being brought up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, they are still a blessing from God. Even those who are conceived out of wedlock, of sexual immorality of some sort, even those who are conceived in rape or what have you, none of those origins, none of those wrongs are reason to consider them to be curses and to be terminated. No, no. No, a thousand times no. God is the giver of life. Only he has the right to take it. And he calls Christians to share the love of Christ by proclaiming the gospel, which grants eternal life. So more implications as we consider God's ordinance, ordaining that human life be propagated, multiplied for his purposes. Um, Does that mean... Since he told Adam and Eve and he told Noah and his sons, especially his sons, right, to be fruitful and multiply, abundantly fill the earth, does that mean we as Christians should have as many children as we possibly can? Right. Make sure we outproduce the the Mormons and the Muslims? Is it sinful to use birth control? This is good things to try to think through biblically, right? Well, let me just say this is not a mandate for Christians to have, um, all of us as Christians to have children like, like Susanna Wesley, for example, okay, who had 19 children, okay, two of whom were the famous John and Charles. Um, Susanna Wesley herself was the youngest of 25 children. Okay, so this is not a mandate for us to be like that or be like Johann, Johann Sebastian Bach, who had 20 children, On the other hand, uh, back in the 1970s when I was born, some people in and out of the church were saying that it was a sin to have more than two children. Others, even back then, like today, were saying not to have many children because of overpopulation, that problem, a strain on the planet, etc. This is obviously wrong and unbiblical as well. So the answer is this. We are to see children as God does. We are to see life as God sees it, human life. And he says that children are a blessing from him, not a burden. And the short answer for Christians is that we need to seek to bring glory to God when we're deciding how many children we're going to have, how large or how small our family will be. This takes prayer. Seeking God's will and God's desires for us, His desires, what He wants, Um, it takes wisdom. Wisdom might tell us if we're a missionary family is going to go to you know the jungles um, in the Amazon, maybe we shouldn't have ten children. Um, So having kingdom-minded purposes, okay, all of that is is part of uh, that decision of our family and how many children. Related to that, in today's world, uh, we do have that medical option of birth control, right? use of contraceptives. So to some degree, we can plan how many blessings we have. Um, although no contraceptive, even sterilization, is 100% uh, trustworthy besides complete abstinence. But the point is, 1 Timothy 5 eight. Christians are called to provide for their families, right? This refers, I think, primarily to basic needs, right? Finances, food, shelter. But other scriptures instruct on the responsibilities of parents to provide not only those basic needs, financially and food and stuff, but for spiritual and emotional needs of their children. And okay, so all of that needs to be taken into prayerful account, Applying godly wisdom when deciding how many children to have. So, let me just uh, say as a little bit more implication here uh, for the modern world. Uh, Children today, in recent times, are considered more of a hindrance or obstacle to a woman's pursuit of her goals, her desires, her career, her sexual freedom, Okay, so, so not having children or delaying having children or having as few children as possible without having to give up all those personal ambitions has become the accepted norm for many people. This goes against the biblical truth that God values human life. He sees children as rewards and blessings. Okay, that's, that's the picture in all of the Bible. Okay, everyone sees barrenness as as uh, considered to be a a curse, Jesus had a special love and care for children, as we've seen in Mark's Gospel, which we're going to get back to next Sunday. The lies of the feminist movement and the egalitarian worldview goes against God's design for women's flourishing and fulfillment. Okay, And let me just say this is, you know, in a very broad and general way. Not everybody gets married, and not every married person is able to have children. And so those are um, exceptional things that God has particular callings and, and um, will for. But overall, this is the design. So to make things more convenient uh, for the, the freedom of women, uh, consider this article from Reuters.com, about the abortion pill. And by the way, this came out on January 4th, uh, which happens to be my birthday, just uh, a few weeks ago. So the headline said, the United States FDA allows abortion pills to be sold at retail pharmacies. Quote, the U.S. FDA will allow... Retail pharmacies to offer abortion pills in the United States for the first time, the agency said on Tuesday, even as more states seek to ban medication abortion. The regulatory change will potentially expand abortion access as President Biden's administration wrestles with how best to protect abortion rights after they were sharply curtailed by the Supreme Court's decision to overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling, and the state bans that followed. Pharmacies can start applying for certification to distribute abortion pill Mifepristone with one of the two companies that make it, and if successful, they will be able to dispense it directly to patients upon receiving a prescription from certified prescriber. And it goes on a little bit. The changes include permanently removing restrictions on mail order shipping of the pills and their prescription through telehealth. Planned Parenthood President Alexis McGill Johnson said in a statement, today's news is a step in the right direction for health equity. Being able to access your prescribed medication abortion through the mail or to pick it up in person from a pharmacy like any other prescription is a game-changer for people trying to access basic health care, end quote. Okay. By the way, um, what is the abortion pill? It's also known as uh, medical abortion or medication abortion, and I'm not going to describe the entire process of what happens uh, with that. You can kind of look that up. Maybe some of you know. But I'll just briefly share, um, according to the... NAF, the National Abortion Federation. Uh, According to them, women who choose medical abortion like that it is non-invasive and offers more privacy and control. So it's taking an abortion pill instead of going in, right? Um, While those who choose surgical abortion do so because it is quick, predictable, and may be combined with sedation or anesthesia. In contrast to surgical abortion, women who abort medically experience the passage of their embryo firsthand. The NAF, the National Abortion Federation, physicians are encouraged to explain that though the conceptus is very small and is often obscured by blood clots, patients may still see a recognizable body. The NAF suggests showing women true-to-size illustrations of the products of conception as a way of preparing them for this Potential trauma, end quote. This is a reminder that we as Christians need to think soberly and carefully about all this and um, maybe even particularly about certain birth control pills. Uh, any contraceptive, okay, any birth control drug that destroys an egg after it's been fertilized uh, should not be used. God's word is clear that the baby in the womb is a person. Life begins at conception, and that life was created by God. To destroy that life is is sin. God ordained human life to be propagated, multiplied, that we would be life-givers, not life-takers. This is why we are pro-life, dear Faith Bible Church family, it's not because of uh, some political devotion or affiliation. Okay, we are, we are pro-life because God is the giver of life, and we are under his ordinance to give life and not take it. So our second principle today is that God ordained the prioritization of human life. Hopefully your blank and your your insert there is long enough for you to fit the word prioritization. And um, if you want to make it shorter, just say priority, right? That human life took priority over animal life is reflected in the creation mandate again. Back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, man was to rule over all the animals and subdue the earth. But here in chapter 9 of Genesis, After the flood, verses 2 and 3, a new thing is introduced as the repopulation life and new environment begins. It says that man will strike fear and terror even into wild animals that God has given unto man's hand. And man is now free to eat animals for food, for sustenance. Before, in Genesis 1, 29 and 30... You guys will recall this, right? God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the sky, and so every thing that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So man was given only plants and vegetables to eat. So some of us, here are really, really, really grateful that chapter nine, verse three, is in the Bible. And uh, you know, back in my unbelieving days, I, I, I worked and managed a, a deli restaurant. Um, and uh, people would order their food and inform us that sometimes that they're vegetarian and ask what we have for 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 them. And I and my some of my coworkers, if we were in a, a certain mood. Um, obnoxious mood uh, would ask them back and we'd act really puzzled and we'd we'd be like you don't eat animals why not they would eat you we just tell them that's just uh you know i noah and sons were permitted to eat meat but in verse 4 of chapter 9 here god gives them a a stipulation they could not eat the blood of the animal and that's because the life of the animal was in its blood A blood physically and symbolically represented life, so raw blood must not be consumed as food. And what God told Noah and his sons here generally, he detailed more specifically to Moses, right? Genesis 9 here points ahead to the sacrificial system that God ordained to the Israelites, right? Leviticus 17, verse 11. Uh, I'm not going to get into it, but I'll just read verse 11 for you. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. See, sin costs blood. It costs life. God requires that the soul that sins must what? Must die. We know that the Old Testament sacrificial system pointed further ahead to the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. God has graciously made provision for our sins through the shed blood of the only acceptable substitute, His one and only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All who trust in Him and His atoning death on their behalf are promised forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Praise God for that good news. So he values all of life. God owns all of life. He's the giver of it, and he's the giver of life eternal. Human life takes priority over animal life. It's humans who are made in the image of God, not animals. Let me just say, since animals are living creatures, uh, we as humans should protect and respect animal life. Proverbs 12, verse 10 says, A righteous man has regard for the life of his animal, but we are not to prioritize animal life over human life as so many in the world do today. Romans 1, right? Worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. Uh, I I love uh, Ray Comfort, the evangelist. And in, in one of his um, clips, he um, he has a question to people that he's witnessing to. And he posed it to younger folks, older folks, people in between. If a house was on fire and you knew that your dog was in there and a person was in there, would you save the dog or the person? And many people had to pause and think about it before answering some just outright said they'd choose the dog. Hey, uh, some of you have met our new addition to the High and Five family, our cat Latte, uh, thanks to our sister Eileen. Uh, I've owned three other cats in my life and a couple dogs, but as far as cats go, I can objectively and neutrally say, that she, Latte, is the most adorable, gorgeous, gentle, fluffy bunny feline I've ever, ever seen or met. And I'm um, avoiding the word cute uh, to save my man card. Tony's disagreeing with me because he has a cat also, but he hasn't met Latte yet. Um, it's been a number, number of months now uh, since that kind of became official, but uh, each of us, high ends. We literally fawn over her every single day. Why do I bring that up? Because there's no question in my mind whatsoever on who I go after first in a burning house or a burning building. There's a person or latte in there. And with apologies to dear latte, uh I go for the person. Today's world, okay, which reflects the truth of Romans chapter 1, um, it will cost you lots of money for killing various animals. And probably one of my sermons uh, I, I've shared this before, just real briefly though. Eagles. it'll cost you at least 5,000 dollars in some states and some parts of the country. If you kill an eagle and just even eggs. Hey, grizzly bears at least 25,000 uh, dollars. In Kenya, rhinoceros and elephants. You could potentially face the death penalty. And any number of uh, 1,000 migratory birds, they've listed them out, uh, could cost you $15,000. Unborn humans in the womb costs you nothing. And so uh, I'm bringing this up, dear Faith Bible Church family, because uh, we we can't have our, our hearts and our thinking go towards the way of the world um, this world's thinking, and sometimes even ours, can be very twisted. Sixty-plus million babies aborted, killed in the womb. that should never, ever be considered normal or acceptable. With Roe v. Wade being overturned last year, uh, which we rejoice over, uh, we'll see if the number of these killings will decrease in the coming years. But as... As that happened uh, last year, um, there have been certain arguments that have been made. And one of them is uh, the ar- argument of keeping abortion legal in the name of safety. Right? How does that argument go? if women cannot abort legally, they will do so illegally. And it's going to be much more dangerous for them. So some pro-choice proponents have, um, have said that. And so abort73.com, I've mentioned this website in the past, but it just has chock full of very, very helpful information, uh, good stuff in there. Uh, let me just uh, give you a, what, what they have offered in response to that. They say, quote, while that argument is not true, even if it were, nothing would change. Abortion would still be unjustified. Wouldn't it be absurd to try and legalize armed robbery by arguing that granting such measures would make it much safer for the burglars to obtain what they're trying to steal? Laws must protect the potential victim, not the potential assailant. And then the other problem it is, is uh, with women-will-do-it-anyway argument is that it only holds true for a small percentage of the population, One need only look at the frequency of abortion since it was first legalized to see that the legality of abortion plays a huge role in establishing a woman's willingness to choose abortion. The CDC, Center for Disease Control, which has tracked U.S. abortion data since 1969, reports that, quote, after the nationwide legalization of abortion in 1973, The total number, rate, and ratio of reported abortions increased rapidly, reaching their highest levels in the 1980s." Listen, in 1970, which happens to be the year I was born, there were 193,491 legal abortions. In 1973, the first year in which abortion was legal in all 50 states, there were 615,831s, so 193,000 versus 615,000. By 1981, that number, 615,000, had more than doubled. It was 1,200,000-something. If the legality of abortion did not influence a woman's willingness to choose abortion then we would not have seen such a massive increase in abortion frequency during the years following its legalization. I hope you're following the point. And they, they finish by saying, should abortion again be outlawed at a future date, and this was written before just this past year, it would cease to be a viable option for most American women. The evidence is clear, both as it relates to abortion and as it relates to all other antisocial behavior. Legislation cannot eliminate such behavior altogether, but it can drive the frequency way down, sparing countless innocent victims from the injustice that would otherwise be theirs, end quote. Clear, biblical, just straight-up truth here about what abortion is, right? It's the killing of unborn innocent children in the womb. When is it ever okay to do that? It's ethically unjust because that's what it is. And no scenario can change that truth. So God ordains the propagation of human life, the priority of human life, and lastly, God ordained the protection of human life. Verses 5 and 6. In verse 5, speaking of animals, God says, If an animal kills a human being, that animal must be put to death. It's repeated in Exodus 21, verse 28. God ordained that human life be protected via capital punishment. And of course, this goes for man as well. Man who unlawfully takes the life of another human being and who murders another human being. God protects man from man by ordaining that if life is taken, right, whoever sheds man's blood, that murderer's life must be taken. Okay? By man, his blood shall be shed. Human life was and is precious and belongs to God. As I've said repeatedly, it's God's to give and it's his alone to take. God ordains the protection of human life By paying the ultimate price for taking what only God has the right to take. The ultimate price being your own life, if you take another's. So this lex talionis principle, right, the law of retaliation, eye for an eye, where God commands equal punishment for crimes, is reiterated, once again, to Moses in Exodus chapter 21, specifically Exodus 21, verses 23 to 25, also in Leviticus 24, verses 19 and 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21. I won't read them to you, I'll just give them to you. But in addition to causing someone to consider the consequences for murder, right, which is death, it discourages people from committing such a sin, This instruction also protects human life from further killing. The sinful human tendency, if someone from your family is killed, is for revenge, for vengeance, for blood. So you killed my father, I'll kill your father and your mother and your brother. You killed my parents and my brother, I'll kill your whole family and your children. And the cycle goes on. That's the nature of sinful human flesh. God ordains the protection of human life by this principle, this decree, given all the way back to Noah's time after the flood, which, by the way, God brought in the first place due to man's sinfully hateful and murderous ways, right? Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, this is before the flood. And verse uh, verse 15, no, verse 13, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. In Genesis 9, God gives Noah and sons his perspective on the sanctity of life. He considers human life to be precious And so should they. And so, as so precious and so valuable, He protects it. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 13, God says that government bears the sword to those who do evil. And that the government is a minister, a servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. A government is put in place by God to bring justice. And certainly all of these are solid biblical arguments for supporting capital punishment. Verse 6 in chapter 9 of Genesis, the second part, gives the reason, of course. For in the image of God he made man. Right? Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? For in the image of God he made man. We're made in the image of God and His likeness. We're different from the animals. We're not just mammals. We are man, men and women made in God's image. At the very least, this means the image of God. We are relational. We are rational, and we're responsible. Okay. Um, relational. We've been created to know and love and worship. God, our creator, not on an abstract, theoretical kind of sphere. Uh, We're to know him personally, relationally, and we're commanded to love one another. We are rational. We've been created with the power to think and to reason. This faculty of intelligence, unlike any other creature in the universe. Chimpanzees are supposed to be the most Uh, the highest intelligence uh, in the animal realm, if if they're trained for years, they learn to do simple things so that they can receive some bananas. That is not rationality in the sense that humans are rational, intelligent beings. And we're responsible. We have a a God-given responsibility, accountability in the spiritual, moral sphere. God gave us life to be lived for his glory, to reflect his goodness, as I said. Every single human being will give an account for how he or she lived this precious life given by God. Did we believe him? Did we trust him? Did we know him? Did we love him? So, once again, uh, some implications here. As God's image bearers regarding the sanctity of life, we should understand that along with murder, suicide is also prohibited by God as we consider what the taking of human life is. Okay, all of life, as we've said, belongs to God, okay, animals, uh, the life of other human beings, and our own life. Okay, suicide is taking our life into our own hands and acting like it belongs to us. We need to be reminded this morning that it belongs to God. Your life, my life, belongs to God. And of course, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we we address the issue of abortion. We're reminded that God is the designer of human life. He regards it highly, from the womb to the tomb. So God is sovereignly in charge of when life is created within The womb, just want to kind of reiterate that. Uh, A few examples in scripture which I'll just give you, but the word conceived. Okay, Rebecca in Genesis 25, 21. Uh, Leah in Genesis 29, 31. Rachel in Genesis 30, verse 12 and 22. Manoah and his wife in Judges 13, verses 2 and 3 and Hannah in First Samuel chapters 1 and 2. Okay, uh, when God describes that, um, he doesn't just talk about the, the giving of birth. He talks about conceived, uses that word conceived. That's when he acknowledges that life has begun. Um, they were no longer barren because she conceived. Okay? And so childbirth is more than just the product of a man and woman's physical union. God is... Sovereignly creating and determining in that very act okay, whether or not an egg will be fertilized. He's that, he's that sovereign. He's that great. He's that powerful. He is the determiner of whether or not life begins, is conceived. And he determines the incredible design of every life. And he knows and ordains what that life will become. He's a plan for every single human life that he conceives and brings into the world once again all for his purpose for his own glory whether it's jeremiah or john the baptist or judas it's not random chance or luck or evolution or arbitrary genetics we are the product of divine sovereignty god's special and amazing design and we could talk a long time about all that but um that was what david's exclamation was right in psalm 139 uh particularly verses 13 through 16 job's uh exclamation in job 10 uh let me just share this though as one pastor noted some facts about the human body okay? the average body contains some 7.5 trillion cells it is far more complex than the most advanced computer Each cell has 200 trillion tiny groups of atoms called protein molecules. The largest molecule is called DNA. It carries hereditary information from the parents to the offspring. It also carries the genetic code. It determines if you will be a man or a mammoth. Uh, DNA in one cell is six feet long. The total DNA in the body would fill a box the size of an ice cube, but if we were joined together, would reach to the sun and back 400 times. And all of our cells contain the information found in all the other cells. Each cell in your body carries all the necessary information for another you. So I I share that all to say... Every single human being who is conceived in the womb is incredibly special and miraculous. A born or unborn, that person is conceived for a purpose. God considers each human life to be precious, and so the discarding of it, born or unborn, is abhorrible in his sight. The unborn child in a mother's womb is incredibly precious and valuable that down syndrome baby is precious that terminally ill person is precious regardless of their condition every human life is precious in god's sight and must be protected pastor jeff thomas says quote man is created in the image of god in view of this truth Murder is much more than an act of hostility against man. It is an affront to God. To attack man is to attack God in whose image he was created. End quote. God ordains human life to be protected and preserved. And so, as we wrap up here, aren't you glad that God so values your life, and considers you to be so precious, Faith Bible Church? I hope so. God ordained the propagation of human life, the priority of human life and the protection of it. And so I I just want to end um, by saying that I I hope and encourage you that your hearts and your minds have been renewed in these truths today. And you do see and value human life as, as God does and not be moving with the ways of the world. It just seems so normal nowadays to esteem the the creature and our beloved pets and just animal rights and all of that uh, above the Creator and to think of abortion as just something that's normal. It's not. It's not. And so what can and should we do? Let me just throw out a few things here, okay? Pray. Pray for people who are pro-choice. Pray for the the states uh, for policies to to continue to change towards righteousness pray for particular people who are uh, facing unintended pregnancies pray for the open arms pregnancy clinic who's doing such a wonderful job ministering and taking care of needs spiritual and physical okay vote vote on a national level on a on a state level uh, for for things and policies that uphold god's standards and righteousness. Um, give, consider giving to just organizations and um, just uh, people who are who are doing wonderful work for uh, gospel ministry in this regard. Uh, consider serving yourself. Okay, we'll just uh, mention a few things next Sunday as those inserts become available. Um, just adoption, okay, whether it's you or or someone else, uh, pray uh, for for for. God to cause hearts to to uh, Christian people in particular uh, to consider adoption, and last but not least, uh, gospelize, evangelize. Okay, uh, the the point is not to change the laws and and have abortion, and even though that would be wonderful, okay, the way that all of these things change is by um, people getting saved and recognizing that Jesus Christ is the only way to to be forgiven of, of sins and to have eternal life. And when that happens, that's when convictions about life change. Uh, our perspectives that were once so dark and evil and twisted and corrupted um, get aligned with, with God's truth, and we rejoice in that truth. We want to celebrate life and all the things that God says uh, in his word. And so our, our hearts change one at a time. So that's what we want to um, primarily focus on knowing that God is going to do good work and sanctify that person. So, uh, just uh, some applications to consider as we we close. Okay? Let us pray. Father, thank you once again for this particular Sunday and this topic that we have attempted to shed some light on from your word. Uh, Thank you that you are such a wise almighty sovereign god you have everything under your divine control everything is in your hands so again god we just want to have our desires and our wills and our hearts and our minds um, in alignment with what your perspective is and what your truth is and as we do so god to to live accordingly so thank you for giving this to us today And the the precious gift of life that we each have, we're breathing here, and the opportunity for eternal life, if we have not yet received that through Jesus Christ, uh, as long as we have this breath in us, this life, we can still yet seek Christ in repentance and faith in him and receive the most precious gift of eternal life. So thank you, Father, um, for this time in your word again. In Christ's precious name, amen.